This episode of Wave Files is brought to you by Deluxe Candles. Make sure to visit shopdeluxeonline.com for your luxury candle needs. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Wave Files. Of course, my name is Reg West. On today's podcast, I have a good friend of mine that is... How can I describe him in the best way? He's a wordsmith. That's it. He's just a wordsmith. He puts words together. Sometimes you see them on Twitter. Sometimes you see them on Instagram. <laughs> you 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 might have seen him actually in a TED talk. This this is how important he is. He had his own TED talk. <laughs> ladies and I gentlemen, did. ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to hold y'all any any longer. I wanted to do y'all to a friend of mine who I, I I hold highly with the with the words. This is my guy. Joel Leon, how are you, uh, sir? Reg, much love to you, brother. It's good. It's good to uh, good to hear your voice. Good to see your face, man. Um, I'm blessed. You know, a little tired. You know, but but blessed, man. Blessed yeah, for man. sure. This is this is adult adulthood. I've, I've we've, yeah, we've known each other since, since 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 our twenties when we were young and <sighs> young and able to like you know not sleep man. for two days straight. That's Word. not happening anymore. Word, not at all. Like <laughs> I don't even know what we were doing. Like how do you even do that? Like how how does your body how do you do that now, right? Yeah. How does that like I I wish I had still wish. Oh my goodness. So so uh, like I said in the intro, you have some amazing accolades that you've accomplished over the over the tenure of your, you know, artistic career. But thank you, bro. Thanks. Um you most recently have gotten a lot of lot of notoriety because of one of your of your tweets, you 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 tweet some amazing, eloquent words that that people look look to for inspiration, um, as well as your TED talk that that you, you did bro. in twenty twenty, um, which also gained gained a lot of notoriety. But before we talk about those amazing things, I want to talk about how we met back in back in the day, <laughs> before you were Joel Leon, you were. <laughs> You were Mag. You was you was, was you was the guy Mag, a rapper yeah. from the yeah. Bronx, who was yeah. spitting. Um, yo, how do how do we meet exactly? Was was it at a showcase? I will tell you. I think it's one of two ways. I mean, first of all, shout out to Jay Hatch because I, I think yeah. it started it started with me doing those underground showcases at um, like those Jay Hatch venues. But I think it might have been through Sky. I feel Sky like Zoo. it might have been, yeah, I think it might have been a Sky Zoo event that I either was at or you were at. I th- either way, I think it was it was one of those two. It's, and it might have been all three. It might have been a Jay Hatch event where Sky was there because, you know, <laughs> it like, been, at that, everything all mixed together, right? Yeah, because like, like at the time, you know, like I was really I was really running heavy with Coalescence. So Torvey. Torrey, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, to, um, shout out to Torrey, DJ Vega Benetton. Um, Vega, but I was running, yeah, and, and, Ke- Ooh, and Kill, I'm, and I'm Kill. I'm, I'm, my man, yeah. Vega. <laughs> you know, and Kill Ripken, you know, shout out yep. to them. But I was running, I was doing a lot of like running around with them, and that's because we had been, I've been, I would do the showcases they were there, you know, and I feel like through that, but like, you know, and he was just a, a, a cool ass dude who also, you know, could, could, could DJ his ass off. So <laughs> that was a good time, man. Like that, that I, I was just talking about. I, I do miss that. I miss those days a little bit. Like 
not even on um this is something about the energy of hip hop, I think, at that time, you know, where like at this point the blogs are really heavy and hot. And so like going going I don't in, being independent and not necessarily needing the label where you could just if you had the if you had the right connect at the blog spot, like your record was gonna go where it needed to go. And if you ran with the right folks, then like, you know, your music was gonna go where it needed to go. Um, it was just about being out there and being seen, man. It was it was a good time. It was a good time. We spoke about this on on the phone the other day, but I I I need to say this on the on on the record. I still have some of your songs in my phone that play on shuffle, and I don't skip. <laughs> man, that means so much to me, man. <laughs> Reggie, do it, do. Yo, cause, do. cause, like, I, I, like, like I told you, like, I make sure I put those songs in the phone. Like, there's no, yeah. there's no. <laughs> Like I have a title, I'm not that much of a dinosaur. I have title, <laughs> I have a subscription, but yeah. I also put songs in my phone. I'm a DJ. I like to control yeah. my own situation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I feel like nowadays, the there's no, I guess, uh, checks and balances anymore, right? Like yeah. you yeah. can be, you can be a DJ, you can be a rapper without any real assistance everything is everything is at your accessible right like you yeah, can yeah. you can record your music in your bedroom put up on soundcloud and you're a rapper now yeah. you don't have to go to the studio you don't have yeah. to press up vinyl you don't even have to nope. press up cds nope. anymore no nope. like nah. everything is digital nothing's tangible so yeah. and, and very similar with being with, with this being a dj you yeah. you can you can literally go buy a inexpensive hundred, two hundred dollar piece of equipment, plug mm. it up to your computer, yep. and play the songs that you have, and you're a DJ now. Yeah. There's there's no carrying crates for for the for the local hot DJ and getting mm -hmm. your, your name up. Yeah, and yeah. And, for, and for the rapper portion, you don't really have to go do showcases anymore nah. to get your nah. recognition. Nah, you, you stay in your bedroom. <laughs> mm -hmm. Basically, you know what I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. Your basement or whatever, your laundromat, whatever it is you use. Your laundromat, word. You know what I mean? But, but like, but, I, but, hold on, but but is, yeah, yeah. is 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 that us being dinosaurs in a sense of like these young kids don't know what they're talking about because our parents yeah. previously had other struggles, right? Like yep. the, the previous generations had different struggles. Yeah. So. Is that us being dinosaurs and saying y'all don't know what you what you had to deal with back in my day? Yeah, da, 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 da. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think it's I think it's I, I think it's that, but I, I think it's both, I, I, and I think there's there's room for both both to be true. You know what I'm saying? Like me, again, like no one, like when I was when I was like rapping, rapping, and like when we would be doing shows or whatever, like I'd be sometimes it'd be two o'clock in the morning, especially we doing a hip hop showcase at the time, right? Like. I you, you had this long ass bill, especially for like a J Hat show, right? And for like those who might be listening, like this might be a familiar um like like guardrail for you, like when they were coming up in at, at that time. But like you were given a set amount of tickets, you sell those tickets, you sell those tickets, that's gonna get you entry to perform. You perform for maybe 10 minutes, you get like three songs or whatever. There might be 15 other dudes on the bill, there might be judges on that bill. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to like Amadeus. Amadeus used to be a deep like uh, a judge. I used to show up for all those J Hat shows. You know what I'm right. saying? Like you, and then you may not be on until like two o'clock in the morning. When you on at two o'clock in the morning, you gotta hope that your people that came with you was still there. Because if not, you perform it to like in front of three people. 
in the room. Like I remember doing shows where it'd be like literally yeah. it might be Torre, it might be you, and it might be the bartender and like three, five other people stragglers, and like that'd be it. And so like not having to go through that process, I think it takes something away from the process of of like honing your craft. And and every to your point, Reg, every generation has that. Yeah, like, you know, when you think about like the 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 old school jazz heads who heard bebop and was like this is, sounds different. The way you're making the art sounds different. You know, like when we meant, went from tapes to Pro Tools and how engineers was probably like, yo, this is ridiculous. Like you're losing the quality of the sound, which is true. Fact, fact. If we're being, you know, if we're being honest, you know being what I'm honest, saying? But right. like, you know, but but at the end of the day, I think there's something to be said about having to cut your teeth, hold like carrying crates for the DJ and, and who's popping at the time and you just trying to get started. Like I learned how, the reason I'm able to give a TED talk is because I know how to speak in front of people and not just speak, but perform, you know? And that came from me having to do it like every single month, two to three times a month, performing in front of people who didn't know me, who didn't give a shit about my music, who probably would be like you performing in front of people who are walking away while you rapping. Like literally, <laughs> no, 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 literally walking away. Yeah. <laughs> like, now nah, I'm good. You know, like they call your name and everyone goes to the bar because no one cares who you are. Like, that's that's the era we come from. And so I, I think it, it just, it, it makes a different kind of character. And I think also too, there's no gatekeepers. And as much as I appreciate the process of like, yo, I could, at that point in time, like you could just cut a record, even especially now, you could just cut a record and just put it on YouTube. You know what I'm saying? Or cut a record and just throw in your band camp. You know, you can sign up to TuneCore and get your music through Spotify. But like you had to, I remember when I did the Reaganomics project, and like we were trying to get the CD to Hot 97. Like right. it, it was like you had to do that. Like you had to know somebody. Like that was important. Now it doesn't, you know, it, it's, it's a whole different ball game. And, and I think it's a different era, but I feel like that era produced the quality of not just music, but the person who made the music as well, you know? Right. Because even though, to, to your point, I think the, the, the gatekeeper thing is, is a gift and a curse, right? Because yeah. you, on one end, you were able to sift through the bullshit like yeah like absolutely you know but on the other on the on the flip side of that if you didn't have those relationships you couldn't even get mm. through mm. you know what i'm saying yeah so yeah so i appreciate the fl the floodgates being open you know so kids can kind of just do what they do but at the same time yeah. there needs to be some checks and balances yeah and and, and the ability to to learn you know, through experiences of physically being, like you said, yo, I'm on at two o'clock in the morning and it's the bartender, it's the judges and the DJ who's ready to go home. That's yeah. it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Word. If you don't learn through those experiences, how can you get better? Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I remember running like, you know, RIP Southpaw, but like being at Southpaw, being at SOBs, you know what I'm saying? Our Remedy Lounge. I remember the first time I saw Ryan Leslie perform i think it was at remedy lounge and like i would i would there's just so many places that have closed that that like i think were the breeding ground for a lot of cats coming up in in like that early 2000 period you know um but like that that teaches you something you know whether that's something that gets to live in the music or whether you decide to leave music and do other stuff i think there's something about having to endure that kind of struggle that prepares you for other things, you know, that I think unfortunately folks are missing out on, you know, and, and I don't know how we, I don't know how we, 
have checks and balances. It's so hard to kind of, I don't think we'll ever be able to go back, but no, a part didn't. of me too. Yeah. I miss it to a certain extent because you, like you said, like you can sift through, there were people who could sift through things. Granted, sometimes they were picking things that a lot of that is subjectivity too. You know, yeah. like if, if my, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm sifting through the bullshit, but the bullshit, even if it's my man's and it's bullshit, he's going to get the green light because it's my man's. I'm going to put him on, you know, but I, I think, you know, like like you said, man, it, there's a good and there's a bad to it. You know, you, you take both and, and and see where you end up. I guess. Speaking of 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 um seeing where you end up, uh, you you moved from from rapping to, I I mean I'm 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 speedballing a little bit, but I, yeah, yeah, like I so we kind of lost touch for for a minute. Like like after yeah. after after the rap game, I know you moved and yeah. like. I, all of a sudden, I see you on social media making posts and doing the tweets, and yeah. I'm like, "Yo, these are some very great affirmations." <laughs> like, <laughs> let me retweet this. <laughs> and Thank then you know, we, we 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 got back in contact, and we became yeah. like, like you know, like we we never like uh, I put you like this, and and you know you know this about me. If if I don't see you for ten years, we act like I I saw you last week. It's yeah, the same energy. Sure. Yeah, you know same energy. Yeah. Um. And I see you with, with these tweets out here, but it's not just me liking these tweets. It's like 30,000 other people liking these tweets. Like, yeah. I'm like, yo, hold up. My man got 50,000 followers? What's going on? <laughs> How did that happen? How did yeah. that happen? Yeah. So, yo, yeah. talk, talk to me about um, your transition from being Mag the rapper to where you are now. I mean, I, I mean, I think part of the reason why I was excited to have this conversation with you, Reg, Reg not just because, like, you know, you're just a, a good-ass dude, I think. It's, it's very rare that people know, like, outside of, like, and I told you, like, my brother is probably the only other person that still calls me Mag. Like, literally, yeah. you know? Like, there are not too many other people who know what I, not, I don't want to say used to do, but how heavy I was doing what I was trying to do at that time as far as hip-hop was concerned. And the transition really it came came, I wanna say, right around the time I turned 30. Like I can give you the 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 date. Like we're talking like 2014, 2015. Actually, no, wait, I'm I'm bugging. It's it's before that. We're talking 2012, 2013. Mm -hmm. Because by that time I I just ended my my, my long-term relationship uh, with my then partner. I'm 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 here in New York. I've been back in New York for a few, like about five years or so. I was about to turn 30 and I was kind of going through transition period and like Twitter became my journal. Granted, it wasn't personal. I wasn't like tweeting like, yo, my cat died. Someone, you know, it wasn't, you know, you know, it wasn't nothing like, nothing right like that. But it was like, I was tweeting a lot of poems at the time while also being like, these blogs ain't really checking for me. Like, I don't have, I don't have the end to like, be like, okay, two dope boys are going to post me because, you know what I'm saying? I know Shake or whoever, like I didn't have that connect. So for me, it was, I had to, it was very grassroots, like person by person, um, trying to build a platform for people to kind of just get the music and art out there. And then what wound up happening was I would just, I, I started, I mean, honestly, I, I started gravitating towards Buddhism and I had been doing a lot of reading and a lot of that reading was really kind of bringing me back to self and like, okay, I'm a black man in America. I'm finding the language to describe the things that I'm sifting through in my own spirit and my heart. How do I communicate that in a way that's going to be relevant to my audience? And at that time, we're talking like 20, 2013 or whatever. I maybe have had like I maybe had like five thousand followers on Twitter, and and I, and I was telling you, Reg, like around 
around that time, like 2013, I'm still putting on music. 2015 comes around, the Ferguson uprisings happen and find out I'm having my first child. I start making a pivot really. And I always say pivot because I'd always been writing, but it was like, I needed to find a way to encapsulate everything that I was feeling about being a first time dad, about being a first time dad in a situation that I don't think was very healthy um, for myself or or, or um, um, my, my co-parent. Um, but um, at the same time, Ferguson is happening. It was like, yo, I need to, essays became the way for me to kind of um, better, um, better have a better grasp of whatever I was going through. Medium.com at that time um, became, they opened up their platform because like what people, a lot of people don't know is Medium at one point, when, when you would try to post a, a blog, let's see, Medium.com, you couldn't do it via your phone. So it's a really weird story, but it's important. But like when I was at my other, there's another job that I had, I used to do my Joel work at that office. Cause like I had mad free time and then medium.com was, they had like a firewall. So I couldn't do no writing at work. And that was like fucking me up. And then <laughs> it was just like, yo, I couldn't do no writing. But then once they opened, so I hadn't been writing for like a year. And then when they opened up the, when they opened it up so you could post on your phone, that's when I started writing poems and putting them on medium.com. And then I had a piece called, um, don't be a fuck boy that I essentially had written after someone had made like a really like crude comment to my co-parent at the time. Um, like while she was at her job, like while she was pregnant, mm -hmm. said something real mm -hmm. reckless to her. And that, I wrote that thing in like maybe less than like two hours. And it was just, it was like, it wasn't even really an essay. It was like a listicle that went viral. Like that got a, a shit ton of attention. Like Huffington Post picked it up. There was a whole lot of conversation around that. And I think that's really what started me um, really making that big transition because right around the time, I don't think anybody else, they, I started writing in a really, uh, I think, pivotal moment for Black um, literaries and Black creatives, especially because we hadn't seen anything like Ferguson up until Ferguson. I mean, maybe until like the civil rights movement of the 60s, yeah. we saw this Black uprising happening. And there was yeah. a crop of Black writers who were really writing about that in mass. And I was one of them. Um, and, I, and that, I think, kind of ushered me in into this newfound territory of um, uh, of, of viewership and readership. And then that kind of coupled with me tweeting affirmations, that kind of really became the big thing. And then I kind of, and it wasn't until last year that really became part of what I was doing on Instagram. Instagram became like a, a, a case study for me. Like I was just trying to make art. Everything that I've been doing, man, is me trying to find a way to make art, you know, and make art in a way that feels relevant to me first, first and foremost. And that's kind of allowed me to do a whole bunch of other shit that I'm extremely proud of, you know? Well, yes, and I do know because I've I've seen these things. This <laughs> is like it's, it's been wild, man. It's been wild. Like 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 for for example, um, I know you I know you speak at um at different institutions. Um, didn't you speak at Columbia U University? And I um, did. I yeah yeah. I, I I spoke at Columbia University. I actually hosted a a, a workshop there, a, a drama. Um, a, a theatrical drama and poetry workshop with um, my very good friend Carla Stockton. Um, it was part of a series she was doing where she'd be teaching international students over the summer. So I would go in there and like help. I would, I would, you know, lead them through like a kind of like a poetry exercise, share some of my work, have them share some of their own work, give critiques, feedback. Carla Stockton played a really big part in me kind of leaning into doing more speaking and not just speaking like Joelle's performing a poem, but like, okay, Let's facilitate a workshop and help students learn the art of literature, but also bringing hip hop into that conversation, which was mm -hmm. really important for me, which is why she brought me in in the first place. 
Um, but that, that led to me doing, you know, doing work for the Gates Foundation and, you know, like the, the, the stuff that's been happening has really been a lot of it. Just it's been it's been through hip hop. If I'm being transparent, like the way that I show up in the world is very much steep in me being from the Bronx and me having the opportunity to, to share my craft with the world. Like Twitter's just, I think, as much as it feels like a bigger, uh, a bigger platform, it's a very small microcosm of what I do. I think a lot of what I really do is the shit that you saw me doing. You know, it's like the 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 hustle of being on stage performing and 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 giving giving of myself for the art and for the culture. Like that's really what what like even the affirmations. That's what it's really about. You know, that's why my bio is like I tell stories to black people. You know, because it depends on what the story is. If it's going to be a rap, if it's going to be a poem, if it's going to be a theatrical piece, if it's going to be me facilitating a workshop, me speaking at TED, it's it's all about our community first and foremost and how I can best uplift us and be of service to us in that way, you know? Let's let's talk about the, the, the TED Talk for a second because I know <laughs> full transparency people, like like me, 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 me and Joel had, had a conversation and I was like, yo, you made the TED Talk. He was like, yeah, <laughs> they hit me. I was like, yo, they, they want, I, I'm gonna talk about this, but they told me to talk about this and I'm like, yeah. Okay, I'll I'll talk about that. Sure, no yeah. problem. Can, can 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 you talk about the process of, of making it to TED Talk and yeah. what your what your I guess anticipation for it was and how did you prep for that? Yeah, I mean that's a great question, Reg. I, I think it's it I was Ted had been I'll try to I wanna I don't wanna make this too long. Like Ted Ted had been on like my vision board for years. And so TED has this thing called TED Fellows where and I didn't know this at the time, but like you apply to be a TED fellow with an opportunity to actually talk on the official TED stage. And because and, mm -hmm. like they have a TED talk, the TED stage that happens, the big TED stage that happens every year in February. I spoke at the TED Women's Conference, um, which is like the second biggest stage. Um, if it like, because sometimes people tend to like, they swap TED for TEDx and no offense to folks who have given a TEDx talk. Those are com two completely different worlds. Like mm. there's like a Wakefield in the Bronx has a TEDx stage where you can apply and then you can give a talk. No one, like there's no editors to work with you. There's none of that. Like when you're perform when you're speaking at TED or TED women's conference, it's, it's a big fucking deal. Like they, they flew me out to California. Like I, I was there for like a week, roughly. Um, and it's, there's rehearsals involved. There's a lot uh, in the process and you don't apply to be a TED speaker. Like TED finds you and then they make mm -hmm. the decision of whether or not like, and they'll tell you what you want to speak to. So Helen Walter, shout out to Helen. Helen had been following me on Twitter. She reached out to me. I remember this because Bria, my partner and I, we were coming back from an ultrasound and I was just on Twitter and I looked at my mentions and it was like, Hey, Joel, Helen from TED would love for you to give a TED talk. And I, I started dancing in the street, B. I started like, <laughs> doing the robot. I was in the street, like, oh, 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 oh. You in the street, dog? Yeah, bro. Because, like, Rick, it's like, Ted, Ted, a TED talk can change your life. You know, like, because it, it what it does is it creates a platform for other people to, to, to see you, you know, and globally. Like, my, my TED talk right now is at like 1.4 million views. And, like, those, bruh, like those numbers happened. Like I hit them. I remember when I was counted down because I did, I think when I hit 100,000, it was like, a, I think that was in a day. And it's like, yo, this is, this is the most attention I've gotten for any of the years that I was doing rap, that I was doing acting, none of that. Like Ted, Ted, and it's like a calling card, you know, but the process of it was 
when Helen reached out, I was like, yo, I'm gonna do, I wanna do this talk about art and culture and how it saved my life. And Helen was like, nah, that's cool. Um, <laughs> I've been following you because, <laughs> great, thanks. Um, I've been following you because <laughs> you've been, you've been so eloquent when talking about um, being a father and what that means to you. And I, and I had, I've been doing a lot of writing, especially before my, my first daughter, Lila, was born about me being a dad. A writing I'm very proud of. And I think she had caught, caught wind of that. And so she's like, she wanted me to talk about being a father. And like what I was telling you was I felt like a bigger conversation really was to talk about co-parenting because I hadn't seen anybody talk about it and not talk about it in a way where it's like, okay, we're divorced. Now we have to figure out what to do or we're separated. Or it's like, nah, I, I mean, you know, not for nothing, some hood shit where it's like, yo, I meet a shorty. I, I like her. She likes me. Now she's pregnant. And now we have to figure it out. I, there's no books that there's movies for that. There's some Lifetime movies. There's some BET movies, but it's not a, it's not a conversation because it's a very complex, nuanced conversation about how do you raise a child with a person you're not in love with, you know. And we're the best of friends now, but we we went through a very shitty, toxic process for 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 both of us. And I felt like it was an opportunity for me as a black man to talk about the importance of showing up as a co-parent and what co-parenting means outside of just two people in the same household, like. You get to co-parent even if you are not actually the parent of said child. Like I think guardians get to be co-parents, teachers get to be co-parents. Like who is showing up in that role as a person that's sharing the responsibilities of raising and rearing a human being? And me being able to give a talk to that was very important for me because a I got to, I wrote the talk, Helen edited the talk with me, but I got to you know it for me it was like I got to mention the names of dudes. Who I grew up with, who I knew were, were fathers, who were black fathers. You know, I got to mention my man Buck, who had passed away. I got to wear Nipsey. I got to wear a blue bandana in my breast pocket because, like, I wanted to shout out Nipsey Hustle. Mm -hmm. Like for me, it, the the importance of like, yo, I get to bring hip hop into this space. It was like important to me, and so like, I think that's what I I, I most looked forward to. But the process was just it, it was nerve wracking, but it was it, it was incredible. It was honestly, man, like just being there, being surrounded by such wonderful energy and folks who are really doing some amazing things in the world um, was, was everything for sure. So with, with that, you feel like your, your profile has been raised, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's, it, even now it, for me, you know, I, I don't have a manager. I mean, I have an agent, but I have a literary agent, you know, and like they're working with me, my essay collection, but I don't have a person who's like getting me gigs. Like the all of 2020 Reg was just people finding my work and reaching out. And I think a lot of that had to do with Ted, even if it didn't matter what the Ted talk was, it's like being able to say you gave a Ted talk is it, it's a, it's a, it's a stamp. It's a seal of approval in and of itself. Yeah. It also, it allows me to raise my rates a little bit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, it's like, you want me to talk? Like, just, what are we talking you know, about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, how much is this bag? You know, like, let's be honest, you know? Um, but yeah, it, it definitely raised the profile for me, for sure. But to be honest with you, like, it kind of like it kind of goes back to our conversation about music, right? Like, with gatekeepers and, and, mm. and, and, and things of that nature. If we didn't have this social media platform, you mm. wouldn't have gotten noticed, right? No. Nah, so that's so yeah. So so this goes back to the gift and the curse of of what we talked about with music. Yeah, you yeah. you wouldn't have got that notoriety from the follows of people from TED Talk mm. or even Lin Manuel, which we'll get into in a minute too, from yeah. people that you know that notice you because of this 
open wide platform. It's not yeah. gated anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and I mean, absolutely, Reg. And I think about you when I think about the MySpace era, how important that was. Like it was so know, important to be in your top eight, right? Gotta be in that top eight. You know what I'm saying? You I feel like you was in my top eight for a little bit too. I probably I was. Like I, you, I was I was probably in there. Yeah. Tor was probably in there, like the you know, but like that that there were a lot of connections I made in that time. Like even, you know, for I performed you know, I may not have been out in 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 in, in the front for, for a lot of people, but I was performing with a band for a while. My my, my homies, the Melting Pot crew, and I met them through MySpace. And even Arthur Lewis, I was the best man at his wedding. Arthur Lewis and I, we are performing and doing music, and that Arthur is my connection to Lin Manuel. But we, I met Arthur through MySpace. You know, what I'm saying like John Bra- um, Brayman, who 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 was one of the leaders of the Melting Pot crew, which became my band, our band. John is like the godfather to my first child. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like that happened through social media. The fact that we were able to even reconnect, that's, you know what I'm saying? Like that's social media, like bringing people together. You know, I think we see the adverse reaction to that when we look at, you know, Trump needing to be suspended and all this other stuff. Like there's there's a very dark side to it. But I think when it's done right, like social media saved and changed my life, bro. Like there's no, I don't know what I would be doing. I would be making music, but I feel like, if I'm being completely honest, I'd probably be a dude who was still trying to do shows and no knock to any dude or woman, whomever, who's still trying to do shows at like 38, 40. But that I probably would have been the dude who maybe was still in the hood trying to figure out a way, still making art and being proud of it, but not being sure where to go. Like I was able to latch on to something because again, the gatekeepers didn't care who I was. They didn't know me. I didn't have a connect. I didn't have an in. So I had to make an in. Social media allowed me to make an end and like create a platform for myself, you know, that people now look for um, when it comes to inspiration, which is amazing to me. But I would have never predicted any of that. But I don't I think that was all predicated on me being active and taking responsibility of my career and using social media as a, as a means to do that. No, that's right. Because you might not be able to get through the velvet rope, but you your, your networking game online is something different. Right. Because exactly. And and I think that's what is so important now. Like it's so I shouldn't say it's so easy because it's not, but it's so it's different now. Yeah, to, sure. You know what I'm saying? Like the ability to find someone in Ohio that you might not have never known mm. that like that that enjoys what you do. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like it's 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 just a, it's just different. Yeah, it's um, different. and people are accessible. Like you can, you know, when I remember when Ava DuVernay followed me on Twitter and like, mm. and being like, this is wild. Like, you know, or like people would see Lynn and, and myself having exchanges on Twitter. Like Lynn could retweet me four times and like that would grow, I would gain like maybe 3000 followers just because of that, you know, like it, but I think part of that's the strength of social media. It's being able, and that still though goes back to, you know, when you talk about the network and I, I, I like to use the, I like to use the term village building. Like, and I consider you a part of my village where it's like there are folks who I met, whether they know it or not, affected like how I showed up in the world and helped how I showed up in the world. Like if I could, you know, if I get into a Reg West party, you know what I'm saying, for Reg West's birthday, you know what I'm saying? Cause that was an extravaganza back in the day. You know, oh, that, like, was a, that was an experience. Yes, sir. Yeah, man. Like there were times, and I remember times you dropped me off at the train station. And like, I, like you know, like, 
I mean, not, you know, again, like how, how great and amazing a human you are, but I, I also, I think part of it is like the village building, like connecting with people and just taking that same energy and just bringing out the social. Like for me, that's what it was. It was like connecting with authentic people and trying to stay true to who I'm, who I am consistently while not, while ignoring what people wanted me to do. Cause people wanted me to be like, take more pictures of myself, put myself out more like visually in the world. And I'm like, that's, that's cool, but it's about the words for me. And it's about connecting people and, and building those connections. And, you know, like it's, it's definitely like to your point, it's not easier, but it's, it's different, but it is the accessibility is, is, is different and it's easier. Like I can just tweet somebody like, right. That's wild. Right. Right. Us, us having this conversation virtually is, is, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's, that's that's wild, bro. That's wild. It, it's amazing, but it you know, it's different. Um, I want to get to the point about uh, go, just going back back to the, to your TED talk. Yeah. Do you feel like you're? Do you feel like you're being pigeonholed with conversations now about parenting and co-parenting? Do people feel like you're the you're the holy grail of answers now because you opened up this yeah. conversation and? Yeah. Are you allowing yourself to be pigeonholed? Because I know with with just from your tweets and just knowing you, like you're you're very diverse in thought and you're very unique in thought in some aspects as well. Thank you. Um, how how is how has it been since you've done that and and you you're doing press and podcasts and all that from from that point? It's interesting, man, because I've been less, I haven't really been pigeonholed with that at all. I think I've honestly been more pigeonholed with the mental health and, and wellness stuff. Like I've been very, I've been very outspoken about my own struggles with like suicidal ideations. And like, you know, they're like, I did an insider.com interview where I talked very candidly about the time I called the suicide hotline. And I think 2020, especially 2020, 20, and we talked about this, like 2020 was a very abundant year for me in spite of everything else that was going on. And a lot of that had to do with people asking me to talk about wellness and mental health and and my relation, my relationship with it to it as a black man, as mm-hmm. a cis hetero black man at that, who as one who identifies as such, which I'm more, more than happy to do. But what I do feel like is it became a thing where, again, which is why I, I, I I appreciated even you reaching out because I'm a storyteller first and foremost, you know, and that is a part of my story, but it's not all of my story. And I also think there are a lot of other, especially black women who can speak to that space very much more um, definitively than I can. Um, I'm a writer, I'm a rapper, I'm a performer, I'm an artist who also has a journey that coincides with um, the, the the conversation involving mental health and, and therapy and, and, and self-care and things of that nature. And so for me, it's been trying, like this year, I've actually tried to pivot somewhat from that. It's like, I've been saying no to stuff. Like, I would love to do this, but I can't because I need to focus on writing my book and I need to focus on potentially making music again and getting back into acting and figuring out what that space looks like for me. But I think that's actually where the pigeonhole, pigeonhole came in. Ted didn't do it. Um, I maybe got like two or three conversations that were really evolving, were centered around parenting. Everything else is really about how do you, how do a lot of the conversations I've been having as of late is how do you um, find your peace in, in, in the midst of everything that's happening, which I I signed up for, um, especially last year, because I think we needed it. And this year, what I need, I think what Joelle needs is the opportunity to tell more stories in a way that speaks to me as an artist, you know? Mm. Mm-hmm. 
but yeah, like the pigeonholing came from the from that. But like the TED actually surprised me. I was surprised about that because I was expecting it. That's what I was concerned about when I first gave the talk because I thought that everyone was going to ask me to do co-parenting talks or podcasts about parenting, and none of that happened. It was like two times where that happened. Other than that, it was, it was gravy train from there. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was surprised. I was I was expecting like parenting.com and stuff to, but I think it's also different because I'm not a high profile person. I think if a common or something like yeah. that would have given a yeah, TED yeah. talk, it would have been, you know, I think, you Yo, know, all, yeah. how, how you going to pick the only other high yellow black dude? I know, man, that was the first dude that came, you know, but he's a dad too. That's why I shaved, that's why I went to the mustache, man. You know, I went to the mustache. I went and picked the only, the only dude. I told myself too, I remember I tweeted this, like if Common ever came out with a biopic that I wanted to play Common in the, in, in the movie. I'm still sticking to that too, man. If, I'm not if you mad did a Lifetime it. Common movie, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. You, you the guy. Absolutely, man. I'm, I mean, you know, we rap, we act like, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm, you you know, about to do the whole Common out. Sense album? Word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know front to back, might as well. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. Oh man, yo. So, um, you you meant you you touched on it earlier. Um, yep. your your tagline on social media is, "I tell stories for Black people." Yep. Can can you dive into that a little bit more? Because I know you you put out two books. Um, yeah. over the over the years. Um, which which which, uh, funny enough, I looked on Amazon for 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 your book, and someone's reselling your your book on Amazon for like triple the price, dog. I saw that. Which which happened? I don't know. I mean, no one is buying it for that much. I, mean, I don't know why they would do that. But I was like, yo, is, is this a hot commodity? Am I missing something? What's yeah, I mean, you're, you're not. I don't know why they would do. I mean, I saw that, and I was like. Who do they think I am? Like no one is buying a Joel. They saw the book. TED Talk, dog. They saw the yeah, TED Talk. They were like, ah, we can raise aha. the rate on this. Aha! <laughs> uh-huh. I got it. Nah, no, you don't. They, you still, yeah, that's not selling. I mean, maybe one day it'll be worth that. We'll see. I hope so. But um, me, me too, bro. Me too. Me too. I, I but you know, I telling stories to black. That's a. I I tweeted a line. Uh, that said that um, maybe a, a, a year or so ago, and I just wanted it to. I just wanted to be clear, you know. And it's the the. And I've gotten a, a, f- a couple of DMs from from white folks about it. Um, some have been very positive. Some have been like questionable and, and negative. And that and that what I've explained to people, it's like, you know, post World War II, um, the government had to create wheelchair accessible buildings, right? So if I see a wheelchair accessible building. I can enter it and I can use the wheelchair ramp if I want to, even if I don't have a wheelchair. It's not meant for me, but I can use it, you know? And I felt like for me, that's what the storytelling angle was. It's like, I'm writing stories of black people. Like anyone can access these stories and it would mean something to them and it will resonate with them. But the intent behind why I do what I do is for the black community. It's for black brothers, sisters, trans brothers and sisters, like folks, in the trenches who are needing um, needing to figure out how best to maneuver through the world. And I've been using my art as a means to help folks do that because it helped me do that. But my sole priority is black, black people first, you know? And I landed on that because I think I got to a point where uh, I, wanted to, I, I wanted it to not be a question about why I was showing up in the, way that I, in the ways that I was. Um, and, and knowing that I didn't, you know, us growing up, 
Like I didn't feel like I had anybody that I could look at who felt accessible to me that I could like point to and go, oh, that dude is doing what, um, not like what I want to do, but like I could aspire to be that. But it felt like he came from the same mold that I did. Like I didn't grow, like I grew up in the backpack era, but I was too young for Lyricist Lounge. You know what I'm saying? So like I, I, you know, but I was, and I was, I, I missed the peak tunnel era. You know what I'm saying? And like, there are things that I missed that I knew of and I was very much aware of, but they weren't tangible to me. And Hove wasn't tangible. Yasin wasn't tangible. Common wasn't tangible, you know? And so for me, that's why I look forward to the opportunities to go back to the Bronx, speak to the young black boys and girls in the schools about my process and being creative and making art. And like, yo, you can make art and not have to be a rapper. You could be a actor, you could be a poet, or you could be a rapper, you could be a copywriter, you could work in marketing, you could be a DJ, you could do, you can paint, you can do whatever you want to do. You don't have to feel like because of who you are and where you come from, what you look like, that you're limited to how you get to live out your dreams. Like I'm 38 still living my dreams. Like when people ask me if you could do what you, if you, if you could do anything that you wanted and money wasn't an issue, what would you do? I'm like, I would just be doing what I'm doing, but we'd be doing more of it. You know, like I would be doing all the things that I'm doing, having the conversations with people that I care about and fuck with, making art that matters to me, consulting with brands, all the things that I want to do, I'm doing. I just want to get paid a shit ton more money for it. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, honestly, you know, that's it. Because I want to be able to funnel that back into the community, feed my family, continue to do the things that speak to me and speak to my truth, you know? Well, you you, you touched on a, on, a, on a key point that it, to be honest, in the majority of these interviews I've, I've done so far, inclusion and visibility have have, mm. have come up. Like we don't, well, when we were coming up, there wasn't a lot of diversity on television mm. or in our communities, yeah. right? Yeah, like, for sure. Like when, I, when I was growing up, I had a white doctor, right? But now yeah. there's a yeah. plethora of black doctors that I know. Yeah. But I yeah. saw one on TV yeah. though. I only saw one black doctor. <laughs> just yeah. one. He in jail now, but it was just one on TV. <laughs> just one. He's in jail. He is in jail. He you know what I'm saying? So yeah. So, but my my point my point goes just to add to what you're talking about. It's it's very important for us to see more of us on TV. Absolutely. Yo, yo, do you remember when we were kids? I think like Nightline did a special about like kids and dolls, right? Like. Like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, 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 it was like, out, yeah. like, like, hey, pick up this white doll. Is this white mm -hmm. doll beautiful? And yeah. it acts like a black kid. Uh huh. Yeah. What about, what about yeah. this black doll? Is it beautiful? Yeah. No. Why not? Yeah. Because it's dark. Yeah. What? Yo. Yeah. Wild. Wild. Remember that? Yeah, man. And, and I think this is why for me, like, you know, I'm a girl dad. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, you know, my my, my eldest Lila, Lila is five, and. I, I forget what, what we were talking about. And she was, and I was like, and I asked her like, if you know why I love you? She's like, because cause you tell me I'm beautiful. And I'm like, I mean, well, that's, it's more than just that, but yeah, like I, I made it a point and granted, you know, I can, in, in that same breath, I can also recognize like my light skin privilege and all of that. You know what I'm saying? Like my daughter's like my complexion, but I, at the end of the day, she's, she is a black woman. Like people are gonna right. see her as a black woman. Um, and, and so for me, it's just important to like, I used to love bringing Lila to like, I would bring Lila to, to like certain like speaking engagements that I had because I wanted her to see her father in a way that allowed her to know he could still do that and show up in this way and still be my dad, you know, like, and she may not get it now and hopefully she'll get it later. But I, I think part of that is the representation part 
and how important that is and how we didn't, like like you said, Reg, we didn't really have it. And so like we get to be that though for the next generation, I think, which is super dope. I, I mean, I, I agree. I'm, to, to, to be honest, for, for me, I I like some of my friends used to used to and not to not to play on this too much, but like some of my friends used to call my my family the Huxtables because like pops was mm. in the house, moms was in the yeah. house, yeah. moms 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 used to used to cook up, pops used to work, and we yeah. was the Huxtables. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But like yeah. like so, I grew up I grew up in Queens till I was nine, and I used to get the are, are you guys upper middle class? Are you middle class? Mm. Like yeah, but. But when yeah. I moved to Long Island, I, I'm in a majority white community, and like it's it was just yeah everybody has they both their parents here. What are you talking about? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, it's mom normal. and dad is in the house. What yeah. are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's normal, and, and and I think and 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 I, what I appreciate about what you're saying too is a balanced perspective. You know what I'm saying? Like I didn't, you know, my and part of like the the reason I also would talk so much adamantly about mental health is like my father you know my father was a paranoid schizophrenic is correction and you know uh dependent on alcohol a whole bunch of other stuff and like so my father really wasn't around and like that was the kind of the story that all 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 the all the little hood boogers on on our block shared like our dad wasn't present or if he was present he was a volatile abusive member of the household um but i think even through that you had folks who grew up into something more or bigger or better than that you know i i think about like and then on the flip side of that you also have brothers like yourself who grew up with both parents who are working hard supporting their family who also you know whether or not regardless still a black man you being reg growing up in this in, in a world that was you know in an america especially that was not designed to um offer us security or shelter or freedom and having to kind of find our way through that um and and being able to to share all those stories and the layers of those stories, I think, is what it is has been and was important and still is important for our survival, for sure. You know, I do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anytime you you end with, I know, I'm a, I'm gonna say, I do, <laughs> I do, I do. <laughs> exactly. What um some something that that I you touched on again already briefly, but I would like to expound upon it. Um you had a had a moment where you had to call the suicide hotline um yeah. can can we dive into that a little bit is yeah. and where did that come from and 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 how are you feeling today yeah i mean uh thank you for checking in you know i, I um you know be, be, before i get into that story it, it's something i i um i, I try to uh reinforced with all like the people I care about, which is like asking like, how's your heart? You know, uh, I think sometimes when we're like, you know, how are you? Um, it, it, it leaves too much room for folks to not be honest about where they are, you know, but like when you, when you ask a question like, you know, like how are you feeling now? Like to me, that speaks to the, the, the present moment, which again is something like pulling from, like I pull from Buddhism, like, you know, right now I'm great. You know, I'm good. I'm blessed. You know, like I'm, I'm tired and tired more from like you know, work, parenting, whatever. Um, but you know, the the um, me calling the suicide hotline. You know, th there was so many pressures ar around that time. Um, I, I was incredibly stressed, not just at work, but with the co-parenting situation. There was just a lot of heavy, um, hearty energy that I think was keeping me 
from showing up as my best version of self. And it was like, I, I remember us specifically, like we got, got into like a big argument over the phone and I felt myself having a panic attack. Like I had to, and the thing is I had to go pick my daughter up. Mm. So we had had this big argument. I had to get on the train and like, I'm physically shaking while I'm on the bus to the point I had to get off the bus. And when I got off the bus, like, so backtracking, when I was on the bus, I tried the, uh, the there's a text line. Um, and that text line, and the reason I was using the text line is because I didn't want to call the suicide hotline on the bus. On the bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? That just be awkward for a lot of people. Um, yeah. But I, I was trying the text line and there's a, it's, it was too slow. Like there was a text bot that was answering. And I could tell it was a text bot because I had to wait for responses. And I was like, I don't have time for this. Like I literally a want to take my clothes off and run in the street and like right. just end it because I don't I don't know what to do. But I also knew I couldn't end it because I had to pick up my daughter, and I have a person to live for. And uh, and so when I called, it was I mean it, it saved my life. And and I think what was uh, so impactful about this because I know it was a black woman. I didn't ask her if she was a black woman, but well, you, and you I know. wish I yeah and I wish I could remember sister's name, but she was just so affirming. You know, because I kind of just gave it a breakdown, the rundown of like what exactly I was going through, what I was processing, why everything felt so heavy. And like, really, it felt like my world was crashing in front of me. Um, you know, I, I wasn't, uh, you know, I, I was working at this job um, and I was still working in marketing, but I was failing at it, failing miserably. And I wound up getting laid off um, eventually, mm -hmm. maybe like I want to say three, three or four months after. Um, but it was just like, there was pressure coming from every angle and I just didn't know what to do. Um, but fortunately the suicide hotline was available for me to call and do that. And so when I wrote my essay about it before insider.com reached out to me to do a video interview and the essay went viral as well. And it really opened the door, I think for me and what I hoped was, and I'm not really sure cause I, I don't, um, I don't really recall many brothers reaching out to me about it, um, but but I, I, what I wanted was for folks to feel like they could be more candid about their struggles. Because that's the reason why I share mine, because I want people to live more openly in their truth and not be ashamed of it. Um, and I had some shame surrounding it initially, but I was like, I have to write this, because if I don't write about it, um, it, 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 doesn't, um, it, it doesn't help anybody. And really that's me honestly carrying, carrying from the tradition of, of, of rap. You know, like if I'm not gonna write a song about it, as long as I can be able to capture, I'm writing an essay about it. So like, you know, if, if Kanye went through something, you was gonna hear it in the record. You know what I'm saying? Like for me, right. as an essayist, as a writer, as an author, as a poet, it's like if I've gone through something, I'm gonna have to put it down somewhere so that it can I can I need to vent. And and essays became my venting process. But the the hotline saved my life, for lack of a better phrase. Um, do you go to therapy? Um, I used to. And used to mean like I just um, I just ended therapy with my most most recent therapist about maybe I want to say like two months ago. Um, I plan on getting reengaged though. I think I, I tell people therapy to me is no different than having a um, than than having a, a personal trainer. Yeah, you know I, I think it, it's like it's worth it. It's it's worth and like they're going to be able to get into like it's one thing to read a book. It's one thing to have friends or therapeutic therapeutic models. So like a gratitude journal or walking or swimming, things that you do in order to kind of help you get through. But just like a personal trainer, a therapist is really, they're, they're more attuned to, and they've been, they're practicing, they're, they've been trained to teach or help you process in this related field. Um, and, and for me, like therapy is like, it just, it's a great foundation to have. So like, even if you're, 
because it's, it's easy to start spinning in your head about what you should do, shouldn't do, what you could have done, regrets, guilt, shame. And I think a lot of us deal with shame and guilt. I know me specifically, and that's a lot of what I was talking through in therapy, guilt and shame around, you know, being chubby as a kid or having a gap because like I had a gap when having a gap was not cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. You're right. You know, you know what I mean? Like being, you know, like being the kid who used to get made fun of because they said I talked white and like how that related, how that was in relationship to, to me being with women and or not being with women or like all tons of stuff. But a lot of that is still was rooted in shame and guilt about my upbringing and where I came from and what I lacked or whatever. And so therapy gave me the tools. You know, what I tell people is therapy gives you the tools and the language, you know, which we, I don't think a lot of us had growing up at all. Yeah, I I agree. I I think, I think us as men, men in general, not just black men, but, but men in general, you're, you're, you're not, you're you're taught not to showcase your feelings, right? You're you're Mm -hmm. taught to to button them up, suck it up, thug it out. Yo, it was recent too. Someone that's that's close to me, we were watching something on the news and this man, specifically a black man was crying about a situation. And this person was like, Yo, he got to save that for home for his girl. He shouldn't be crying out in public. I looked. I was like, "Oh, what? <laughs> all right, yeah, we gotta go over here now. <laughs> Put you in this box. Yo, you're out of here, doggy. What? <laughs> yeah, man. You know, like uh, Reg. Yeah, that to me, that's that's symptomatic of a bigger problem. You know, like when we talk about black liberation and black freedom. The oppressor is not going to give us any freedom. Like if and if the cap, if the storming of the Capitol has taught us anything, it is there are over what seventy million people who voted for Trump. That's Trumpism right. isn't going anywhere. Trumpism existed before Trump existed, right? Like racism full blown. He, he just tapped into it and, and turned it up. Yeah, but like, is this thing on racism? Are you here? <laughs> like he was, he was ready. He was ready. He was ready. Yo, and, and, <laughs> speaking of, speaking about a marketing guy, right? That's a marketing yeah, guy, bro. Like. Like first and foremost, and you know, and people bid it hook, line, and sinker. But I think for us, liberation comes from how we talking to each other about each other, how we loving each other, how we showing up for each other, how we treating not just those who have similar viewpoints than us. And like, let's be clear, like misogyny, homophobia, that's not an opinion, right? Like, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like, you know, did you know? I think people should be doing this or whatever. Like. I think the the ways that we communicate with each other, the ways that we show up for each other, the ways that we create space for each other, that's what liberation looks like to me. So when I hear a brother say like, nah, I saved the crying. If imagine if that dude was crying in front of him in a room and he said that to him, that brother who was crying now does not feel like he has a safe space. And like, so now we have to do the work for him. And then we also have to do the work for this brother who's probably creating other environments for other people who do not feel safe. You know what I'm saying? And like safety is not about physical violence. It's about, can I be vulnerable with you? Because vulnerability is the truth. You know, like love is the truth. You know what I'm saying? If we're not leaning into love, the opposite of that is not hate, it's fear. And that comes from a place of fear. Like if I can't cry, I got to cry in front of my girl. I can't cry in front of my boys. Like I would love for one of my homies to cry in front of me because then what that tells me is like, he trusts me enough to feel like this is a safe space for him to come to where we can chop it up and talk about what 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 does that come from because then that keeps us that keeps us safe that keeps our children safe that keeps our women safe you know what i'm saying that keeps our queer community safe you know like for me 
the and this is why like the purpose is bigger than music for me and i think i got to a point where it's like how do we ensure that our legacies are bigger than the product of what we're trying to create and for me that becomes to your point like get the fuck out of here with that man like a brother gonna cry let him cry like i'm proud of that man for doing that because that's to me that strength it's not about how many girlies you can pull how big your car is how big your chain is how much you got for your deal it's like can you sit in the room and be truthful and honest with who you are and who you were and who you're trying to be in a room full of strangers? Like, because to me, that's freedom. That's love. That's strength. That's empowerment. You know, you, you, you said, you just said half a hove line right there. So, so let's, let's dive into hove. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, um, you, uh, you have a, I guess is, is blog the, the the proper term for it. I mean, we. I mean, blog column. I like calling column. it a column. It's gonna column. Feel like, I, I like that. Feel like that sounds, yeah, sounds fancy. Column yeah, sounds it fancy. Let's, yeah, let's, it do. It do. Let's, let's go. Let's go with column. Uh, <laughs> it do, it do. You have a column called "What Would Hove Do?" Can you yes, please sir. tell the people about this? Because I, I I love the idea. Well, first of all, thank you, Rich. I, um, it's so I'll like the impetus of this started with the smoking section. The smoking section used to be run, oh, I think it's still run by John Gotti. Shout out to the, to the homie John Gotti. Um, the smoking section for me was like a really great prominent source for hip hop at the time. I brought this idea to him. He was like, ah, it's cool. And this was like years ago. We we're talking like 20, I forget when, like maybe 2016. I sat on it, I sat on it. Medium.com, um, John Gluck, who's the editor of Creative, reached out to me. I was like, yeah, we're doing this new thing. We want you to be a part of it. Do you have any ideas? And I was like, yo, what if we took like, cause you know, if I'm I'm already doing like these wellness self-affirmation conversations, I'm also a hip hop head, hip hop stand, hove stand, especially. Like, and I'll I've always and I've always said Jay-Z to me is more like a he's more like a motivational speaker than he is just a rapper, you know? And so it became uh 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 important for me to bring those worlds together. So like what would it look like to have an advice column? where you use Jay-Z lyrics in order to help people get through those problems. And so it, it that's where the, the the brainchild for what would Hope do came. And it, it's been fun, man. It's been fun to have people send send um their their questions um and, and me kind of respond and me have to honestly do the source work of which Jay-Z lyric. And I use Google, you know, I ain't gonna lie, like I can't I can't recite every <laughs> J bar verbatim. Like, but I can yeah. like I know like I know Jay-Z has a for me, I've always felt Jay-Z has a lyric for something. And he does. Like I'm, I think I'm proving it. You know, if I'm being completely transparent, it's I I just I I want there to be, I, I need Hove to see it. And like that's the reason I created it. You know, like Ain't No Jigger, which we don't I don't know if Ain't No Jigger is Dream Hampton or um Lenny S. I'm, I feel like it's either one of those two. Because one of the two. <laughs> yeah, I honestly feel like it's one of the two. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but they've they've been supporting, they've been supporting the piece, which makes me feel like, yo, I'm like two steps of like it's you, you, are, you, are, that, you are literally one one digit away from, I, from like from Reg. I'm confident of this, man. Like I, I've been doing my research, I've been following Ain't No Jigger for a while. Like it's a person who very much knows who Jay-Z is and knows right. Jay-Z is like close with him. So I for me, it, it's it's been valid, it's been very rewarding and validating to like get feedback like, yo, I love this piece. I'm like, okay, cool. Like I, because for me, it's again, bringing hip hop with me. And I love the opportunity and shout out to Jada Gomez, who's the editor. Um, but it's me and my voice, which I'm, which is what I'm most excited about. And not to say my other, my other work isn't in my voice, but it's very much 
Joel, Joel on the block, having a conversation with some folks, like using hip hop vernacular in a way that's in a way that I would I would speak, and, and that showing up. It's it's not poetic. It's very much these are my thoughts, and using Jay Z to help cite, like siphon those thoughts and, and share them with the world. It's been dope. It's been fun, man. Oh man, <laughs> I just I just thought it was so cool. I was like, yo, this is something that should be a book. Speaking of books, <laughs> I know I I know you have a goal of um of 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 getting like a Simon and Schuster type book deal yeah, going yeah, on. Um yeah. do you have something in the works that 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 is coming that we can talk about? I mean kinda I mean you know like um so right now I'm signed to Folio Literary, which is the literary agency that's helping to I mean essentially help me craft my 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 manuscript that will then become the proposal that will be sent to the Simon and Schuster's of the world to the Penguin Random Houses of the world. Um, you know, I, we've been playing with titles. I, I we don't have really landed on one yet. I feel like I know what the title should be. I'm not going to disclose that yet. But essentially, yeah, the, yeah. the but the essay collection is really just a body of work of mine that that I think encapsulates the experience of a young black kid from the Bronx growing up. Um, and and I, I what what I'm looking forward to is because I don't think there's anything else like this in the market. Um, you know, like I'm, I'm telling, I'm, I'm writing essays about my belly, you know, like my body and like, really it's about body shape and, and body image. And I don't think black men generally get the opportunity to talk about that. Um, and, okay. the, and to be fair, straight black men. And I think part of what I've been trying to do is create a narrative that centers my, our experience in a way that's not harmful to other communities. Cause I think a lot of what unfortunately happens in this space from cis hetero black men is like a. Uh, uh, an attack on 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 other spaces, and my goal is to make it more inclusive for everybody. But sharing my experience and as a kid growing up in the Bronx, on Creston Ave, like from the hood, you know, like I, I and and speaking in a way that I think is going to be communicated, um, communicated truthfully to 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 our peers. I mean, really, the goal for me is to write write something maybe, hopefully, just as good as Toni Morrison. I don't think I'll ever get there, but that's for me. That's the goal. Um, but you know, we'll hopefully that'll be in a bookstore near you and everybody sometime in like 2022. Fingers crossed. Yes, that's that's the work, right? That's the work we yeah. got, we got to put in. Yeah, um, man. Yeah. So, something else that you mentioned briefly, and uh, that I'd, I'd love to dive in a little bit more deeper into. You you mentioned uh, Buddhism and and your yeah. involvement in it. I don't hear a lot of black men say Buddhism. Um, yeah. How did you end up there, um, and and what does it do for you? Yeah, well, you know, again, great, great question, Reg. Um, while she's not a Buddhist, I think my journey to a greater sense of self started with Ayana Ramzan. She had wrote, written a book um, for it was dedicated to black men. Granted, there was some language in there that's very dated, I think, but. It was the first time I read someone speak to black men in that way, and like she was using words like surrender, your ego, and shit like that, and that led me to Eckhart Tolle and the Power of Now, which then led me to Gary Zukov's Seat of the Soul, and I I'd actually gotten that recommendation from like Oprah's book club because Jay Z had mentioned it to her. Ah. I think. Yeah, Aha. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but then I think that that started me on this journey of self and mindfulness. And that led me to listening to Dharma, like a lot of Dharma talks and Dharma really, 
um, the 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 uh, the the energy that's centered around Buddhism. It, it led me to like listening to like different podcasts, and I wouldn't consider myself a practicing Buddhist by any stretch of the imagination. But when I look at people like um, in you know Sharon Salzberg or, or, or Tara Brock, um, individuals who are very much known um, in that mindfulness Buddhist space. Um, Sharon Salzberg, who I had the pleasure and opportunity to to be on a podcast with, and also be mentioned in her book for an interview. Like we're looking at individuals who I think are talking about how can we be more present, and that's what I wanted. I didn't want to feel like I was struggling with my demons, and I think what I loved about Buddhism, what I do love about Buddhism, is the practice that doesn't alienate you from. If I wanted to be, a, if I wanted to call myself a Christian or or a Muslim or or um, you know whatever the case was, like I could still do that while being a practitioner of, of this, being a practice of, of of Buddhism. It's given me solace. It's given me. Um, something to go to when I'm um, when I'm not really sure about what my next step should be. Um, and for me, and what's been interesting is that I think um, it, 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 it's created, it's allowed me to show up in spaces in the ways that I do now. You know, like it's helped me communicate better. It's helped me to listen better. Um, and it's, I think it's given, it's, it's helped me to feel more free without and and you know, without feeling restricted by um you know uh, a religion you know i, I think um is, is what i've appreciated the most because i'm very much a, a spiritual person um buddhism kind of gave me a a, a foundation to, to 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 practice with and from i think i got it how how, how long how long have have you been practicing i want to i mean i want to say 2020 now i want to say about seven to eight years you know and and so and i i have yet to actually go on like a um a, a retreat but i'm looking forward to it hopefully maybe not this year but maybe next year um, um a buddhist retreat where you know you kind of you, you leave your phone at the door you know it, it's hard because it, a lot of it is like being with stillness being quiet um and and really being with things which I think 2020 did a lot for us, right? Like we all had to kind of settle down, slow down. And I think that's also something Buddhism gave to me, that, that the ability to slow down and give myself permission to do that. Like when people were complaining about New York and about how fast New York is, which to be fair, New York is like, it, I mean, we're not as fast anymore because of COVID, but <laughs> all right. you, know, you know what I'm saying? But New York, like, the, the, you know, everything has to happen now and you have to hustle. And I'm like, you don't have to, you can and sometimes you should, like New York gave me that hustle mentality, but it's a choice. Everything is a choice to a certain extent. Um, unless of course you're suffering some, some, from some sort of mental health condition that doesn't allow you to do so. Um, but Buddhism has always been a reminder to me that I get to choose how I show up in these spaces. And so New York could be as busy as it wants to be. I could put my AirPods in or I can just walk and I could take, I can do some walking meditation and I can like not be ignorant of what's happening around me, but be cognizant of it, can be cognizant of it while not letting it affect how I show up in the world. And I think that's probably the biggest thing I got from Buddhism is like the outside circumstances don't need to affect who I am or how I show up. So when I see people who are reacting to a situation, reacting to triggers, and again, that is a human trait of, of ours to do so, Buddhism gives me the opportunity to pause, right, and say, okay, um, how can I respond to this moment with intention, with kindness, um, with awareness, um, in, in a way that's honest and true to who I am and where I am in this present moment? 
Well, brother, I, we we we've been we've been chatting for over an hour. I don't, I don't want to hold you for too much more of your time. Um, but we 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 had to catch up. It's been it's been a while. Um, yeah, yeah, man. This has been beautiful, man. Um, can can you tell the people where they can find you and and be so they can be five uh, fifty thousand and point four of your followers on <laughs> social media? <laughs> yeah, I mean, man, you know, um, I, I'm on Instagram. Um, I am Joel Leon. Um, I'm on Twitter at Joel, aka Mag, um, M A G. Um, like if you just Google Joel Leon, I'm like the first person that comes up. That's also something a goal of mine I used to have. Like I wanted my SEO, my SEO search engine game to be strong. Or right first now, person. it's like, yeah, yeah, you know. So like, you know, search Joel Leon on Google. Like the first person that comes up, you can just click on it. <laughs> well, yeah, Joel, man. yo, man, I, I appreciate the time, man. Um, Same, bro. Same. Um. This this has been an enlightening in- interview. Hopefully, people pick, picked up a few gems. Hopefully, hopefully my guy. Uh, this is Wave Files, and of course, I am Reg West. Salute.